Thank you for joining us for our current sermon series at City Baptist Church. And this is Pastor Paul, and right now we're in a study of the life of one of the most well-known individuals in all of Scripture, King David from the book of 1 Samuel. As we study the highs and lows of his life, we'll see that in every circumstance, God is working for his glory and for our good. We are so thankful that you would choose to grow in your faith with us. And if there's anything we can do for you, we would love to hear from you through our website or social media accounts. We really do believe that God is changing lives through His Word, and so we are praying that you'd be encouraged and challenged by this week's message. First Samuel this morning. Chapter number eight, as we kick off a brand new uh, sermon series today, I'm very excited about this. And it's going to be a study through uh, really the second half of the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, However, it's going to be specifically, uh, more specifically, a study of the life of King David. And so the title for our series is David, the Life of a King. And so that's going to be our main focus as we study uh, through it verse by verse. Now, King David, of course, if you know anything about Scripture at all, David was one of the most influential and impactful writers and uh, uh, um, writers uh, and characters in all of Scripture. I mean, even now, some 3,000 years past his lifetime, we are still reading his psalms as we just did a moment ago. We are still uh, singing his songs of praise. We're finding comfort in uh, David's real, uh, I would say, raw laments of life and the difficulties and the struggles that he went through. We find so much connection there, and we're inspired by the victories that God worked in his life. Now, David in Scripture is known as a man after God's own heart. He uh, was the most written about king of Israel in all of the Scripture. And as we learn about his life, what what we see is we see a man whose life was marked by God's calling, a man who experienced special victories in his life unlike any other. We see a man who spent years in exile, a man who uh, went through devastating loss, and someone who suffered greatly at the hands of his own sinful desires, the consequences of his own sinful desires. Now, like I said, David is one of the most, or is the most famous king in Israel's history. And as, as many of you know, my wife and I just got back from Israel about a week ago. And everywhere in Jerusalem and Israel, everything is David this, David this, David, King David Hotel, King David whatever. Everything is David. And he is the most famous king of Israel, certainly the most famous king in the Bible. And for us as believers, well, if you just mention the name, for me just to say David, immediately for all of you, a, a thought, an aspect a story about his life popped into your head, whether it was a good story or a bad story. But what I want us to understand this morning is today sort of like a, an introductory message for the whole series. The thing that I want us to understand is that even though David was the greatest king in all of Israel, though he is the most written about and had some of the greatest influence, what I want us to understand is that God's plan for his people never involved an earthly king. God's plan for his people never involved an earthly king. See, since their establishment as a nation and the inheritance of the promised land, the intention was that the children of Israel would be led by none other than God himself. 
that he would be their supreme leader, that he would be their only king. Now, of course, we know there was an earthly leadership structure uh, from the high priests to the prophets to the judges that came. These were all people that God had ordained to help curate the vision of what he wanted to get across to his people. He gave them direction. Of course, we know there was great leaders like Moses and others that God led. Uh, But ultimately, God was to be the one. God was to be the ultimate leader in their lives. And though the earthly leaders were not perfect, and and probably while I mentioned judges and prophets, you can think about all of the negative stories uh, throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Though they were not perfect, what we do understand is that that was still God's plan for them. And God always found a way to step in. God always found a way to bring correction and to change out leadership because we know that he is the one overall, even earthly authorities. And so this was the leadership structure. This is what the people were to follow. But now as we come to 1 Samuel chapter 8, we are at the end of a generation. We are at a time where uh, Israel is now settled in the promised land. All of the tribes have received their inheritance. They're in their places. Yes, there are still battles. Yes, they're still uh, pushing people away. But ultimately, they're settled. They're where they need to be. They have received the inheritance given to them by God. And at this point, at 1 Samuel chapter 8, they are led by the final judge in Israel's history, a man by the name of Samuel. Now, Samuel, again, is a familiar name in Scripture. He was a man who uh, was a strong, God-honoring leader. And from his birth, he was destined for greatness. If you know the story about how uh, his life came to be, his mother, Hannah, was a woman who greatly desired to have a child. It was something that she prayed for and... Oftentimes, when she went to the temple in Shiloh, the tabernacle in Shiloh, when they went there as a family, she would go and she would spend time. Of course, there's that famous story in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2 where she came there and she was, uh, remember, she was in the tabernacle in the outer court and she was praying and Eli the priest saw her and he saw her and she was praying and her mouth was moving and she was so intently in prayer with God that he, he, he accused her of being drunk. Do you remember that? He says, don't come all up here in the tabernacle drunk, you know, and you're just mumbling and babbling to yourself. Don't come in here. And she says, I'm not drunk at all. I know exactly what's happening. I'm speaking to God and uh, I'm praying for a son. And he said to her that by this time next year, you'll have a son. And she had promised that child to the Lord. And there's that great song of of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter number two. And sure enough, God blessed her with that, uh, that child. She named him Samuel. And when he was old enough, she brought him to the tabernacle, presented him to Eli, and he began a life of service for the Lord. Samuel was unique in that he was used throughout scripture as a priest, as a prophet, and also uh, as a judge for the entirety of his ministry. And following the return of the ark uh, back to Israel after the Philistines had taken it, and you probably remember that story in 1 Samuel chapter 6, the Philistines had taken it and the ark had been returned uh, to the place uh, where it should have been with Israel. Uh, Samuel began sort of a circuit leadership throughout Israel. Really, it wasn't throughout Israel. I have a, a quick outline for a map for us here. It was really in a central location, and he would go between these three major cities, Ramah being the place where he had his home, and people from all around the country uh, knew where he was, and so he, they would come and meet with him, as we're going to see in just a few moments. And so for the rest of his life, following the return of the ark, Samuel was the judge of Israel. He was the leader. He was the one who was in tune with God. God was connecting with him, and he was connected with God. And there was this wonderful relationship and leadership that was taking place. He was calling out error. He was leading them in the way that they should go. But the people of Israel were not satisfied with this. As so often we see throughout the Old Testament, uh, whenever God lays out a plan, they seem like the children of Israel never liked it. You notice that? (laughs) From the very beginning. They always questioned God and what God was trying to do. 
And so we find here in chapter 8 a situation arises and really a transition takes place in Israel's history. And we find that the elders of the 12 tribes of Israel come to Ramah to meet with Samuel today. And the reason they're coming to meet with him is because they are here to voice their displeasure with him. You say, what are you talking about? Samuel was the one that God gave to the people. He's the one that accomplished so much for the Lord. He was connected with God. Well, I said they they weren't listening. They weren't happy with it. And so they come to Samuel and they begin to voice their displeasure with him. And this is where we're going to pick up in verse number four of 1 Samuel chapter eight. It says, then all of the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him. So they all gather, hey, Samuel, we need to have a meeting. We know you're the judge, you're the leader. Let's have a meeting together. And so they come to him and this is what they say. Behold, thou art old. Don't you love that, right? (laughs) This is what my kids say to me all the time. Dad, you're old. (laughs) I'm not this old, all right? He would have been definitely in his 80s at this point. 80s or 90s, really. We're not totally sure about his age. But they come to him and they say, Samuel, you are old. And notice there's another problem. And your sons do not, or thy sons walk not in thy ways. And so they say this, now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So the elders come and they meet with Samuel and they ask him, notice, for a king. You see the transition that's taking place. Up until this point, Israel had never had a king. And so they come to him and they say, we want to have a king. Now, is this necessarily a wrong question to ask or a wrong request? You think it's wrong? Is it wrong for them to say, hey, we want to have a king? I don't know that we can say it's necessarily wrong that they asked for a king, but I want you to notice the kind of king that they asked for. They did not come to Samuel and say, Samuel, we would like, uh, now that you're getting uh, well on in years, they probably could have said it a little bit nicer, you're well on in years and we feel like it's time for us to uh, have a little bit of different leadership and so we feel that maybe the Lord could give to us a king, uh, you know, that would be after the Lord's heart, someone that would uh, lead as, as you have led or maybe they could say maybe God would assign to us or God would bring up from within us a king that could lead us. Notice they did not ask for that, rather they asked for a king and notice at the end of the verse here. They said that we want a king to judge us. Say those last four words with me. Ready? Like all the nations. So here's where the error begins. They didn't say we want a king from God. They said we want a king just like everybody else. They wanted a king like the Philistines had a king. They wanted a king like the Amorites had a king. Now those are not good people. These are the enemies of Israel. These are the ones that are attacking Israel. And they still said, we want to have a king just like them. They wanted a king like the pagan nations. Now you say, why would they come to this conclusion? Why in the world would they uh, want this for themselves? We'll look back at the verse again. They kind of have a point. We have to understand, like we we understand uh, how we think, right? They kind of have a point. We saw in verse four that uh, his son, or verse five that his sons are uh, not walking in his ways. And if you look back at verse number three, it sa- tells us what his sons were doing. They did not walk in his ways, but they turned aside after lucre. That's ill-gotten gains. That's basically money by illegal means. And they took bribes and they perverted their judgment. So he had these two sons uh, that were not following in his footsteps as godly leaders. Now, to me, this is ironic. This is really ironic that Samuel's sons were not following in his footsteps. Because if you remember, Samuel grew up underneath the leadership and mentorship of a guy named Eli, the high priest. 
Now, if you know anything about scripture at all, uh, Eli was a terrible, well, he was a decent priest. We'll put it that way. But his sons were terrible. They were wicked. The Bible says they were the sons of Belial. You know, if you ever want to really insult somebody, you can use that. You son of Belial. You know, I mean, you are a wicked person. Uh, These were terrible dudes. Uh, Samuel had grown up, think about this, he had grown up understanding that the sons of Belial, Hophni and Phinehas, were sleeping with women in the congregation of the city within the walls of the tabernacle, within earshot of the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God. Think about that. They were committing fornication and sinning in, in the tabernacle. I mean, this is how terrible these guys were. Beyond that, they were a ripoff. They were stealing from people. They were doing all sorts of things. And Samuel had seen that evil. He had seen the pain that it brought to Eli. He had seen the destruction that it brought to the nation. But what we see here is a pattern being repeated in his life. And now you might think, well, maybe, and maybe Samuel thought this way. Well, at least they're not as bad as Eli's sons. Like, my sons are bad, you know, but at least they're not doing that, right? How often do we do that in our lives, you know? Uh, sure, what I'm doing is wrong, and sure, what I'm doing is sinful, and sure, it breaks God's heart, but it's not as bad as that other person, right? And, and, and we, we look at life this way. Maybe Samuel did that. Maybe it was that he was just, he was gone so much. He was so out there caring for the people that he was not around to uh, raise his children as he should. But even though he was a great man, I believe that we see here a failure of Samuel as a father, He did not fulfill Moses' words to the people in Deuteronomy 11, verse 19, where he uh, said that you shall teach them to your children and speak, uh, uh, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walk by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. What's it talking about? It's talking about the law. The command was given to the people that, fathers, you are to be telling your children about God. You're to be raising them up in that way. You're to be teaching them about the truths of the word of God. But Samuel here, we see failing in this area. His sons were not walking with the Lord. And sadly, church, this is a pattern that is a common thread among spiritual leaders. There's a pattern among many spiritual leaders, even in my own life, people that I know, where there is a struggle between the ministry and the calling and the responsibility of parenting. Sadly, there are many pastors, friends of mine that I know, pastors whose kids have gone astray that have not walked in the path that they should have walked in. And we can come up with all sorts of different reasons and try to point the blame in, in different, d- different places, but the point being is that, sadly, it's a common thread. And so I, I mentioned that this morning, and I bring this up to you as a church family because I want to encourage you to pray and support the leadership of our church as they raise their families for the Lord. This is so important that we would not only as leaders lead the church for God, but we would lead our families as well. I would ask you as a church, would you encourage, would you help the children of our leadership, those that are giving their lives to love you and care for you and care for your families and be, be there for your children and be there for you, would you also care for the children of our leadership so that they would not come to look at the church or the ministry or the, or the work of God with a disdain because it kept them from their father or it kept them from their mother or, it, or it, it, it maybe kept them from receiving what they thought they should receive. Do you understand where I'm going with this? And so as a church, you can help support them and encourage them in this way. Now, I realize that uh, as adults, you know, I'm not responsible for the decisions my children make uh, when they are adults, but while they're under our care and under our responsibility, I want to raise my children. I'm going to talk about me for a moment. I want to raise my children in the joy of spiritual leadership and the joy of ministry. And so we do not want to see that pattern repeated in our own church. Where we see uh, this go, the children move away from the path of righteousness. But for Samuel, this was the reality. 
For Samuel, this problem had been brewing for a while and the elders in Israel are using both his age and the waywardness of his sons to push for a solution. And the solution they think they'd have is a king for Israel, just like the other nations. Now, I think we need to pause here for a moment. We need to pause for a moment and just think and consider a couple of questions. Why didn't the leadership come to Samuel and say, Samuel, you need to fire those foolish sons. <laughs> Why didn't they say that? Why don't we read in verse number four, Samuel, your sons are the worst. <laughs> you need to, I mean, give them two weeks and <laughs> they're done. They need severance, fine, but they are gone. They are not what this, they are not doing the right thing. Why didn't they demand that Samuel confront his sons? Why didn't they say, Samuel, you need to confront your sons. You need to call them to repentance. If they do not repent, then, then we're done with them. Why didn't they uh, say to Samuel, Samuel, your sons are, are not doing what they should be doing, so we need to pray, we need to seek the Lord, and we need to ask uh, that God would raise up the next prophet, that God would raise up the next judge, so that we would know for sure who it is that we are to follow. Why did they not ask Samuel to pray? Samuel, it seems like things are not going well. We love you, Samuel, but you're getting a little bit old, and uh, you know we're worried your sons are not really doing what they should be doing. We're about to fire them. Uh, Samuel, would you pray, would you seek the Lord that he would show you the next one who is to be the leader, uh, the next uh, one who's gonna take us in a path of righteousness? But they did not respond in that way at all. Instead, they say, we wanna be like everybody else. This was their solution to the problem. You say, why would they think like that? Well, it's because this is how most of us think. This is how most of us think. See, how often in life do we get challenged with difficult situations? Do we face circumstances and things are not working out the way that we think they should work out? And our first response is always to look at the world around us for solutions. To look at uh, the lost world that, is, that does not know God and to look to them and say, well, that must be the answer. And so we make decisions then based off of uh, other people. We, make, uh, we, look, we look away from the Lord, and this often leads our pathway away from God. And it's, it's hard to blame the leaders for doing this because we operate so often in this way. And we're going through a difficult time, and uh, you're, maybe things aren't working out the way that they should work, and, uh, and yet you still have the Bible, you still have the Holy Spirit, you still have a church family that loves you. But what do you do? You look everywhere else and begin to look other places for solutions, you believe that uh, maybe what they have, what my coworker has, what uh, my neighbor has, maybe that's going to be the solution and it would be better for us. But I think we have to be reminded of the fact that the wealth and the luxury and the pleasures and the so-called solutions that the world offers us will never replace or fulfill your heart's desires. It will never uh, be what you want it to be. And rather than trusting in the Lord with all your heart and rather than leaning and, and, and then leaning on your own understanding, what happens is that when things begin to fall apart and things are not going how we think, we take our eyes off the Lord and we begin to look everywhere else trying to fix the problem. And what that does is that leads us to poor decision making. And we find ourselves in a position like these leaders who are asking for something that they should not be having. They're asking for something in the nation that is not right, that is not the fulfillment, or it is not what God's desire was for them. And so they allowed these circumstances and their fear to push Samuel and coming to him and saying, Samuel, I think it's time that we have a king like the other nations. In other words, they're saying, God, I don't think your plan is working out very well for us, so we're going to try to fix it. We're going to come up with a better plan. Have you ever done that before with the Lord? <laughs> I know I have. <laughs> There's been times in my life where I'm like, man, what, what's going on, God? I don't understand. 
I don't know what you're trying to do. Why, why is it not working out how I thought it would work out? And then I, I try to manufacture something. I try to make something happen. And I'll even, I'll even sort of while it away in my mind thinking, well, God gave me the ability to make this happen, so I'm gonna make this happen, right? <laughs> and so and we, and we almost say like, this is my responsibility, right? So I'm gonna act in this way, I'm gonna do this thing. Rather than just trusting that God has a plan, trusting that God has already given us direction. See, God's given us everything we need right here. We have what we need through his word. We have what we need uh, through the body of believers and, and, and through prayer and through the Holy Spirit. And so we need to trust him. Whenever we take our eyes off of him and start looking everywhere else for solutions, it always leads to poor decisions. And this is exactly what we see here. Well, they come to Samuel and you can imagine how Samuel would have responded, right? He would have been, he was upset. It says right here as we move into verse number six, it says the thing displeased Samuel. And you say, well, he just wanted to keep on being the judge. No, I think there's more to his displeasure here. He was upset. He was frustrated when they said, give us a king to judge us. And notice here, Samuel always responded in the right way. Samuel prayed to the Lord. Verse seven, and the Lord said unto Samuel. Now this is where things start to get a little weird. He says, hearken, that's listen to the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Verse number eight, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, listen to them, yet protest. Notice he says, I want you to listen to them, but I want you to protest solemnly unto them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. Now this is not what I expected from God. I don't know about you. I didn't expect God to say, all right, Samuel, listen to him. I expected God to say, enough, open the earth, 12 rulers gone, you know, all right, start all over again, you know, he did that in some places. That's what I would have expected, but instead he says, Samuel, I want you to listen to them. And it's not what I expected because they're pushing for a solution that is directly against what God had set up. And really when you see here God speaking to Samuel and he says, listen to him, I kind of feel like it's God sort of in a depressed voice a little bit, like I can't believe they're doing this, you know. I can't believe they're doing this. Well, listen to them, but I want you to warn them. Now, we know Samuel's upset, and I'm sure that the tone in his voice was not very good as he began to tell them what kind of king they would have. And I want to just quickly look at this here, at verses 10 down through verse number 18. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked him of a king. And this is what he said in verse number 11. He said, this is the kind of king that you're going to get. Here, I'll just give you a quick rundown. He's going to take your sons and appoint them for himself. He's going to take your sons and make them be his horsemen. Some will run before his chariots. He'll appoint your sons captains and captains over 50s, and uh, he will use them to reap his harvest and make instruments of war. He'll take your daughters to be uh, cooks and confectionaries and bakers. He'll take your fields. He'll take your vineyards. He'll take your olive yards. He'll take the best of them, and then he'll give them to his servants. He'll take your men servants, your maid servants, your, your young men. He'll take your animals. He'll put them to his work. He'll take the tenth of your sheep. Uh, he'll, he'll take, uh, uh, and ye, notice in verse 18, you'll cry in that day. You'll cry because of the king that you have chosen. You'll cry and the Lord will not hear you on that day. So think about this for a moment. Samuel says, you want a king, but I want to tell you the kind of king he's going to be. He's going to take a lot from you. He's not going to be a king that gives. He's going to be a king that takes. And in the end of it all, you will cry and you will be sorrowful because of the king that you have chosen. So he warns them strongly. And I'm sure it was very, uh, he was very strong in his warning to them. But notice how they respond in verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, that means no. They said, no, we will have a king over us. 
We don't care what you say. We don't give a rip that we're going to cry one day. We don't care about the consequences. We don't care about the end results. We want a king. Now, here's the big thought out of this whole passage that I want us to understand here. For these leaders, they did not trust God any longer. And so because they did not trust God any longer, they needed someone to control them or someone to control. Here's what I mean by that. You know, today, uh, the reason we require contracts enforceable by law with people that we do business with is because we often do not trust them to keep up their end of the bargain. There's a reason that we don't spit and shake on it so much. You know, like, hey, I want to buy your house. All right, how much, you know? (laughs) Can you imagine? We have contracts enforceable by law because we don't trust people. We do not inherently trust others to keep up the end of the bargain. So we control the situation. We control the environment with a contract. This is where, where Israel is. They no longer trusted God, so they wanted a king that they could control, someone that they could tell what to do, someone that they could uh, say, hey, we want you to go and fight our battles and do our bidding. And the reason was, the reason they wanted something to control, it was because they did not fully trust God. And so God calls it rejection because everything, listen, everything about the character of God says, you can trust me. Everything. Everything. And, and Israel here is saying that we want someone else to control. And what's so ironic to me is that God brings up the fact that they have struggled with this since he brought them out of Egypt. I don't know if you noticed that earlier on in the verses. He says, since I brought them out of the land of Egypt, they struggled to trust me. They've struggled to obey me. They've always resisted me. And, and imagine that God, you know, who worked the miracle of saving them from their enslavers, they did not trust the God who saved them from their enslavers. They didn't trust him even though he did the work. I mean, it was in their recent history that this had happened. And now here they are in this situation. And the situation was not ideal, but rather than trusting God to bring the correction, rather than trusting Samuel to seek the Lord for the next step, they come up with a situation that makes them feel like they are in control. Like they are in control. Just like some of us here this morning. Just like some of us this morning. Some of you are in a situation right now, you are in a difficult circumstance, and you desperately want to be in control of that situation. And you're not trusting God like you used to. You're not trusting God as you should. You know that you're to cast your care upon him. But what you're doing instead is trying to find a way to control the situation. And it's leading you to poor decisions. Rather than trusting the God who has proven himself to you over And over and over again, you are trusting in your own wisdom. You're maybe trusting in, as ridiculous as it sounds, someone who does not know the Lord. You're trusting in unsaved co-workers' advice rather than trusting in the Lord. You're trusting maybe a social media personality. Man, it just came up on my scroll and it changed my life, right? (laughs) You're trusting a YouTube video, someone that does not know you, and you're trusting their leadership rather than trusting the Lord. The danger is this. Here's the danger. I understand this. I I am that way. I am prone to find things to control in my life because so often my life feels out of control, right? And so I I try to find things that I can hold on to and control. But here's the danger. Here's the danger. And this is what we're going to see. The danger is that sometimes God allows you then to get what you're looking for. God allows you to step into a situation that you think you are in control of and it will not be the best for you. See, God is going to grant the Israelites their request. But the age of the kings that is to come is not going to go very well. (laughs) 
What was true of Israel in the days of Moses is still true today. In Psalms 106, he talked about this in retrospect to the people of Israel. He said that he gave them their request, but he sent leanness to their soul. What does that mean? It means that the people asked for something that was against God's will, and he gave it to them, but it brought difficulty to their life. It brought leanness. It, you know, in the scripture, if you see fatness, that means joy and fullness. Leanness means struggle. And so there was a struggle and God allowed that to happen in his children's life because they so desperately wanted it. And God is gonna grant Israel a desire for a king, but it will not be to their advantage because their king's gonna take from them. He's gonna tax them. He's gonna conscript their sons into war. He's gonna burden them with their decisions. They will not be able to control him as we will see. It would not be an evil or an evil. It will be an evil, but it would not be an easy road for them. You know, I was thinking about it. It's kind of like when uh, my children, my boys sometimes uh, just beg and pester for an extra hour of TV on a school night. Do you see the connection, right? No, <laughs> you're like, absolutely not. I don't see it. You know, sometimes it's like, you know, they got school the next day and they're like, dad, it's a cliffhanger. They always say that. You know, if they're watching TV, it's a cliffhanger. We have to watch the next episode, you know, and I'm doing the math. Okay, it's 40 minutes. They're going to complain a little bit more at the end as well. Got to get teeth brushed, change everybody in bed. I'm like, it's going to be another hour. And I'm like, dad, uh, we promise. You know, I say, hey, if you, you know, if you do this in the morning, it's going to be hard. You're going to, you're not going to want to get up in the morning. I'm like, no, dad, we promise. We're going to get up even earlier tomorrow. If you let us watch TV, we're going to be up early. We're going to be dressed. We're going to be smiling. We're going to be happy. We're going to eat breakfast. It's going to be so wonderful. We'll be in the car 10 minutes for it's time to leave. Dad, it's going to be perfect. And, you know, sometimes in the softness and mercy of my heart, I'll say, all right, you know, I'll, I'll let them, uh, you know, watch an extra hour of TV, right? And they cheer, hooray, we have defeated dad, you know, <laughs> we, we have brought down the giant, we have destroyed him, you know, and he is, he is now at our whim and letting us do whatever we want. And then at 730 in the morning when I'm like, hey boys, time to get up. And I turn on the light in their room. What do I hear? I don't want to get dad. He's leave till eight. Can I sleep a little bit more, you know? And at breakfast, it's like, you know, and there's crumbs and it's a mess and you got to do your chores before, ah, I'm so tired, dad, I'm so tired. Okay, so you see what I'm saying? This is what it's like. They got their way, but the consequences were not what they wanted. At the moment, they're like, I won. I defeated dad. I have cut him off at the knees. I have won, you know, and but later on, they felt the results of their desires. Here's what it is. It's confusing in our natural thought a little bit because we're like, well, why would God let that happen to us? Well, he does because he loves us. I, you know, as a parent, there are times I allow my children to be put in difficult situations of their own choosing so they learn lessons. That's a loving thing to do. I'm there, I'm guiding, I'm watching. But that's what our Heavenly Father does often. Sometimes we demand things and we desire things and we think that it's, you know, this is what I need and we're trying to control the situation. And sometimes if we're persistent enough, God will just say, okay, okay. If this is really what you want. One pastor put it this way. He said, if you, he, he asked the question, have you ever wanted something so badly that you prayed for and you obsessed over it and you begged God for it and then you got it and then you realized it wasn't what you thought it was? Some people work their entire lives feverishly and, and they put all of their effort and, and everything into getting a certain job or to getting a certain promotion and one day they look back and realize that that promotion was in fact a curse upon their life because it ruined relationships. They had to step over people to get it. It took them away from their families and things that were truly important. See, this is where Israel is headed because their first king, 
King Saul, who we will reference throughout the series, King Saul, a man from a wealthy family. Now understand, this is the king that was chosen. King Saul, from a wealthy family, he was, he was I mean, gorgeous, okay, as scripture says. It says he was so good looking, your eyes would hurt just looking at him. It truly, that's what it says. In, no, I'm kidding, that's not true. But he was, he was tall, he was six inches above everybody else, he came from a wealthy family, he was good looking, everyone thought this was the guy, you know, he's so amazing. But while he started out strong, he ended very poorly. I mean, the end of his life, if you think about it, he's meeting with a witch in a cave trying to seance up Samuel just to get a word from the Lord. He's injured in battle, and rather than face uh, being captured, commits suicide, his body is decapitated, and he is hung on the wall of a city for all to see and be disgraced. Israel, by the, time of his, uh, by the end of his rule, is, is a disaster. Uh, they've lost ground. It's, it's, it's a struggle everywhere. And, and Samuel did his very best to guide this king, but ultimately the power went to his head. He made sinful decision after sinful decision, and the country was a shambles. In fact, the last time that Samuel, saw, uh, Samuel spent time with Saul, he said this to him, Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, uh, Saul laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. He grabbed onto his clothes, and he tore off a piece of it. And Samuel, in his wisdom, looked and saw him holding that piece of cloth, and he said that the Lord has rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and has given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than you. This is the last time that Saul, uh, Samuel ever spoke to him. And I got to tell you that this great king experiment that these leaders want so desperately with their first king, Saul, it was a failure. It was a failure, complete failure. But this is when God steps in. You say, why are you telling us all this, Pastor? Here's why. Because this is where God begins to reveal himself to Israel once again. That in a dark time of their own choosing, they chose this, they suffered the consequences of it, but when the time came, God was waiting and willing to step in. Because as bad as of a king as Saul was, God used the situation to prepare his people for the greatest king they would ever have a righteous king, one who followed after God's heart, the one that would lead them into the greatest season, the greatest century of peace and prosperity and impact that they ever had. To me, I look at it how Isaiah said it later on in Isaiah chapter nine and verse number two, where he said that the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shine. See, it is in the darkness of a place that the light is fully revealed. And just like Israel is about to and will be walking through a very dark season with King Saul, God uses that darkness to prepare them for the right king. He prepares them for the one who's going to lead them to great things. In the same way, listen, you might be in a season right now of life where you're trying to control things. And maybe you are suffering the consequences of your own decisions that you made without the Lord that you made without good counsel and you've, you've been trying to control things in your life and right now you're struggling and it's, it's a dark place and it's a difficult place. I wanna tell you, it's in those moments that God can then begin to reveal himself to you. If you would simply return and begin to look for him. For too long, for some of you, maybe you've been living in rejection of God. You've constantly been rejecting his word and rejecting his will. You want control. You do not want to seek him first. And the darkness of your decisions has led you to a place where you're ready for some hope. 
And I got to tell you, hope is found in Christ. And he is going to bring hope to you once again. You say, Pastor, I feel like you were all over the place today. I was a little bit, but it's for a purpose. We're setting up what is to come. We're setting up for King David. We're setting up for the right king. We're setting up for the one who is a type of Jesus Christ, the one who ultimately will be the one who will rule and reign over all of us, the perfect king. See, Israel is at a point where they need a rescuer. They need someone to step in. They are suffering the consequences of their decisions. They're suffering the consequences of walking away from God. Saul has made a mess of things. It's a terrible place to be. But now God is there and he's ready to step in and begin to do his greatest work with a young teenage boy where we're going to pick up next Sunday named David. And I'm really looking forward to share with you how God builds the life of this one who would make such a difference. And throughout the series, we will see the pictures of Christ, the perfect king, the one that we desire, the one that we need, and how he can bring and restore righteousness and peace back to our lives as well. And so I look forward to studying that with you. But today, some very simple thoughts. And I think you've got them already, so I'm not going to rehash them too much. But maybe you are like the Israelites where you're just trying to control things right now and you're struggling in that. Things haven't gone how you wanted. You're not really sure what's, what's ahead. And so you're trying to control stuff. You're trying to make decisions and you're looking everywhere else but to God and to his word. Can I encourage you today to return to where you need to be, which is focus on Christ, focus on his word, making sure that you are walking with him, that your heart and your life is right with the Lord, that you are you've confessed sin, that you've made things right and are looking to him and him alone. And you're just trusting him. You're just trusting him. You know, it's okay sometimes to just sit back and trust God. Actually, I would say it's okay all the time to do that. All the time to do that. And just trust him. You don't know what he's doing. You don't know how he's working. You don't know where he is involved in the situation. And we need to trust him. We need to trust him. It might be that there's somebody here today who... You're, you're just in the darkness. And what I mean by that is you are without Christ and you need the light. Can I encourage you today that Jesus is the light that you need. He is the one that will reveal himself to you. He is the one that you can put your faith and your trust in for your eternity. We call that salvation. And scripture is so clear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And he is the one that you need to put your faith and trust in. I would encourage you today, if you've never made that decision, that today would be the day you trust him as your savior. We, when I read this passage, I can't help but see myself in it so often. And it frustrates me, to be honest with you. It frustrates me. That though God had a purpose and a plan and a direction for the nation, they decided to do other things and to seek other answers. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe this is just for me today. But I want to encourage all of us, let's not live as if the world has a better solution. Let's live like what we say we believe, and that is Christ is the only answer for all things. We hope that you were encouraged by the message today, and we would love to hear how God has worked in your life. If you'd like to take the time to visit our website and send us a message through the contact page, we would really appreciate it. Have a blessed day.